0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good day, one and all. It is night two and a big one. In the association, a happy Wednesday. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespris. Hope you guys enjoyed night one. Uh, I think we had... I, listen, so before I even get into anything else, I want to start by saying one thing. I was... I nailed every handicap on yesterday's card, and it really won't happen like that. I gotta say most of the time, certainly not all of the time, probably not even most of the time. Handicapping is something where you you know you try to get it right as often as possible, and if you clear 52.4%, you make money. But uh, that was Dan 1, Vince nothing on yesterday's show. Took down my friendly guest. I, I love you, Vince, but I, I clobbered you. So that was cool. We'll talk about that a bit more when we profile yesterday's games. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D A N B E S B R I S. Please do give me a follow, as I mentioned on yesterday's show, and I'll try to keep it shorter on this one since we're now in officially day two of the NBA season. I do a lot of stuff on Twitter. I had a tweet storm on fantasy last night, I had a tweet storm on handicapping in the afternoon. I'll have one of those today that if there's something more you'd want to see, uh, in addition to what we talk about on this podcast, I interact with you guys. If you have questions about fantasy, we we'll hit you up there, let you know what's going on over at Hoop Ball, break news, things of that nature. All the things I can't do on this one pod. So please do follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D A N B E S B R I S, or just Google search Dan from Hoop Ball, and you can find me very easily. This is a Hoop Ball presentation. Hoop Ball.com is the website of our benevolent overlords, and they're Twitter feed is at hoopball fantasy. At hoopball gaming is where all of our sports betting stuff is taking place. So if you're enjoying that part of the show, and yesterday the winning hoopball gaming is what you'd want to check out over on uh, that front. I want to start today's show by just quickly hitting you guys with an update on the fantasy pass. I know you guys have tuned me out a little bit at this point, but the the Discord chat is so damn cool. I cannot. I can't get over it. As I do this show right now, today, of all of the Hoop Ball Premium subscribers, I think we're at about 200 of you guys that have now taken the invite and jumped into the Discord. And there's just stuff happening all the time. Like every time I turn around, there's another 25, 30 messages. There's the general fan, there's the full season fantasy section, which has general discussion, ad drops, trade advice, streaming, set live chats with the Hoop Ball pros. There's the DFS room, which is just humming along 17 messages since I got back to my computer a half an hour ago. They've got their inactives list, late game swaps. There's a wagering uh, section. There's NBA coverage if you just want to talk about particular teams for some reason. Uh, It's so cool. I mean, like right now, I'm looking at the Discord while I'm talking to you guys. Uh, Aaron Asmus from the DFS division is in there. Uh, Chris from our tech team, Micah Patria from the DFS team, Corbin, JC, Lawrence from our team coverage divisions. So the hoop ball voices and faces you come to know, we're just hanging out in there in addition to the live hours. I I truly believe that that alone is worth the $4.99 on the Fantasy Pass, which doesn't have any commitment anymore. If you want to sign up and cancel it after one month, you can. $4.99 a month, the wager pass is 9 dollars a month. That's got all of our best bets. And the HoopBall 360 plan is both of those things rolled together for $12.99 a month. So please do check that out. Continue to sign up. That's how we power this thing into the future. And you guys are a big part of that. In addition, the HoopBall 6 dropped today for all Fantasy Pass and HoopBall 360 subscribers. So another very good reason to check that out. It's Brewski's review of his own B-150, his favorite guys from within his six favorite b150 names if you're already a subscriber you already have access to that i talked on yesterday's podcast about how the the days are going to be breaking down on this show from this point on basically and it's going to be we start the show by looking at news which good lord there was james harden stuff and it's not a trade but yeah uh Injury news, things of that nature. We'll break that down first on the podcast since that's the most pressing. Then we'll go back, look at yesterday's results from a fantasy standpoint for the most part. We'll talk briefly sports betting on the night before if I can remember what we were doing on stuff. And yesterday we can because there are only two games. And then quickly, I want to pivot because there were, again, because there were only two games. I want to pivot into what we're working on today with a 13-game card. There's a lot going on. So sit back relax. Let's get this party started. Yesterday, two games to open the NBA season, and we nailed them. The only thing I think I had wrong was the lean on the Warriors to keep it close, so that one was incorrect, but the under cashed by 10 points, and in the second game, I loved the Clippers, and uh, not only did they cover, but they won by seven points outright, so probably Vince... Vince even told me to take the damn money line when we were arguing about it, and I didn't have the stones to. We also dropped some coin on a Montrez harrell over bet that he hit very easily. Montrez, the over was 20 and a half points, rebounds, and assists combined. He had 30 in their opening night game, played 32 minutes. It wasn't close. You knew he wanted to play well against the Clippers. He did. All three bets cashed in our best bet tank. We went under on game one for a unit, Montrez for a unit, And Clippers for two. And so it's wonderful to start the season up two units. But in terms of the handicap, by the way, you can get all those plays in the wager pass again. But in terms of the handicap, the one thing that I think maybe made the big difference was Draymond Green being out. And, you know, we remember last year at the beginning of the season, the Warriors did not look good. Remember, they got thwomped even before Steph Curry got hurt in the middle of that uh, first week or at the end of that first week last year. They looked bad coming out of the shoot. Like the, it was it was it was a it was bad for the Warriors last year. So, you know, there were two things at play here. For one, the Warriors shot the ball horribly. Steph went 3 or uh, 7 for 21, 33% shooting. Um, Andrew Wiggins who they're going to be counting on went 4 for 16. Kelly Oubre went 3 for 14. It's about as bad as that's going to get. So, the Warriors will be better as this season rumbles along, they, do, they need Draymond as the anchor, the guy that can actually pass out of the high post, can actually run the offense while other guys are kind of running off of things. And then on the other side, you know, Kyrie Irving in particular looked like he didn't miss a beat at all. KD was solid if perhaps, a te- I mean, solid if unspectacular. And a guy coming back from his injury, you know, he did more than anybody could have wanted. Hit all of his free throws, went seven for 16 from the field, which is fine, not great, but fine. Uh, had three steals in a block. We know he gets those defensive stats. Kyrie, 26-4-4. Four four. Great shooting. Tremendous efficiency. Four three-pointers. And then Karis LeVert just kind of mopping things up in this one, which is exactly what you want. His inefficiencies showed themselves, but he had more than enough going on in other categories to get it done. I thought the most interesting two things in this ball game, and I, I don't care about anything on the Warriors' side, because Draymond was out. Nobody played enough minutes to matter. This game was just dump it straight down the toilet. We can't really read into it. On the Brooklyn side, two things. For First, uh, Karis Laverde is going to get all the usage he can handle in the second unit, but it's still not going to be enough. He's not going to lead the team in usage most nights, and he did yesterday among anybody who played more than insignificant minutes. He had higher usage than KD or Kyrie in that ballgame. That won't last. So that's not the thing that I thought was interesting. Spencer Dinwiddie in with the starting unit, I thought was actually kind of interesting. I thought he would be the guy to run the second unit. Instead, they want Karis LeVert doing that. So Dinwiddie had 9, 5, and 4 in 20 minutes as a starter. It's hard to know how many minutes he would actually be playing if this was a competitive ball game. I would presume it's more like 26 to 28. Uh, his fantasy game has big holes in it, though. Big gaps. If he gets traded... He and Karras LeVert end up monster fantasy uh, guys, but this one was one where Karis got a bump because of the blowout, Dinwiddie got a slight knock because of the blowout, and his issues are going to keep him from having enough fantasy value, but I did think it was interesting that he was the starting shooting guard, at least on night one. And then the center position, which is what kind of was our homework at the end of yesterday's podcast, DeAndre Jordan got the start, played 17 minutes. Jared Allen played 19 and a half off the bench. Uh, DeAndre had 11 rebounds in his 17 minutes. I think he's a must-own guy right now. I don't actually feel that way about Jared Allen, although you know, both of these guys should probably be on rosters just until this whole situation gets sorted out. If DeAndre's starting, and if he's going to actually play in the fourth quarter of a ball game, it looks more and more like it's going to be almost a 24-minute split on both sides, which, by the way is actually enough for both guys, if you can believe that logic. Let me, let me walk you through this thing here, and this is kind of what we talked about with the other New York team in that they might end up actually having two valuable centers. DeAndre Jordan played 22 minutes a game last year, averaged 8-10 and 10 with a block, and he was top 120. Give him 10% more on all of that stuff, and it's 9-11 with and eleven with 1.1 blocks, and he's actually inside the top 100. Meanwhile, on the, uh, the Jared Allen side, who actually can do more with his minutes, he played 26.5 minutes last year, averaged 11, 9.5, 1.3 blocks. That's one of the big differences there. You take away 10% from his stuff, he probably settles right around the edge of the top 100 also. So you got two of them. Neither one exciting, but both of them probably doing just enough to be fantasy relevant on a night-to-night basis. So there you go. So that, I thought, was the stuff from game one. Game two, I was really only watching one thing, and then one other thing kind of popped up partway. This was a competitive ball game, So you got, I think, a pretty good look, aside from, for the Clippers, the, the power forward spot with Marcus Morris being out. Uh, Nick Batum played 28 minutes. That number is definitely not going to be that high. Patrick Patterson played 20. That number probably dials back as the Clippers uh, do a little bit more, Marcus Morris at power forward and the sort of Serge-Zoo center thing, which is what I was watching. That was what we talked about on yesterday's show, the minute split between Serge Ibaka, who started and played 20 minutes, and Ivica Zubots, who came off the bench to play about 26 and a half. I don't expect that number, those particular numbers to stick. Lakers are a huge team, Clippers can go a little bit bigger against a huge team if they needed to. What I'll note, though, is that Zubats doesn't need to get to 26 and a half minutes to have fantasy value. He doesn't. Uh, And this, again, we can go back to last year for additional info on why this is relevant. Ivica Zubats played only 18 and a half minutes last year, and he was number 165, which, let's be clear, that's not good enough. Eight points, seven and a half rebounds, a block. But if 18 and a half minutes becomes even 23, we don't need to get him to 26. 23 minutes would be still almost like another 25% on what he was doing last year. In fact, it's almost exactly 25% added to everything. At a quarter to 8.3 points, he's scoring 10. At a quarter to seven and a half rebounds, and he's up in the nine range. I think it's like nine point four. Am I getting that right? Somewhere near there, nine point four rebounds. Add twenty five percent to his blocks. It's one point two. What did we just tell you about Jared Allen, who was at like eleven and nine with one point three blocks? That was top eighty. So in twenty three minutes a game, Ivica Zubac could jump from top one sixty five to near top eighty. I am not kidding. I am not kidding. He needs to be owned in all fantasy leagues. And I'm in pretty competitive leagues, so he's, I think, only available in one, maybe. I think he's owned in every other league. But if he wasn't drafted in your league, get him now. Get him now. These are the kinds of peripheral guys that I hope we can find on this podcast. I don't focus on the superstars. The other thing you do with those outside of buy lows, sell highs, things of that nature, and nobody's going to buy into what they saw in game one yesterday. I do, however, think if, you know, Kyrie and Kevin Durant, if they have a couple weeks of great health and put up massive numbers, if you try to move them for someone who was drafted, maybe a shade in front of them with a little more durability, that's fine. But like in terms of Paul George, he's going to have a big year. We all sort of knew that. On the Lakers' side, LeBron and Anthony Davis, we knew they were going to start slowly. That was part of the handicap on this ballgame. Clippers wanted it. Lakers ring ceremony. They didn't really care about this ball game. But even more than that, like, obviously, once they got on the floor, they cared about it. But AD and LeBron, they basically squatted for two months. They were gassed, completely exhausted. We knew that. And everybody's like, oh, you know, they'll get themselves ramped into shape. This is a very good team. They made great offseason moves. Yes, all of that is true. You are telling me things that are built into the number already. You don't think the Lakers being favored by three points was factoring in the fact that they have LeBron AD and added Schroeder and Harrell and whoever else? Yeah, that's all in there. That's called power rankings. Vegas has those. When you handicap a basketball game, you got to be looking for something that's not baked into the line. And yesterday, what wasn't baked into the line in Game 1, Game 1, the line, the the total just got completely blistered by cash coming in on the over repeatedly on an opening night game where you knew everybody was going to be rusty. Except for Kyrie Irving. Everybody was rusty except for Kyrie. You knew there were going to be big turnovers. Brooklyn had 20. Warriors had 18. Lakers had 19. There's always a ton of turnovers when there's new guys on a team. And then, you know, with that first game, you bet the under because it just got bet up way too damn high. In the second game, you take the Clippers because the stuff that wasn't baked in was perception. Perception. The perception was the Clippers were an imploding wreck, and the Lakers were the champs, and the Lakers added, and the Clippers lost Montrez and replaced him with Serge Ibaka, which to most people is considered a wash, but... Yeah, fine, even if you call it a wash. But mentally, emotionally, motivationally, the Clippers were prepared. They were laser-focused. They took the preseason seriously, even though they lost the games because, you know, starters aren't going to play the whole thing, because they were implementing things. They were working hard. They had a stench they needed to get rid of. I think the Lakers gave a crap about the first game of the regular season. LeBron knows that guys like Schroeder, Harrell, THT, these guys are going to have to pick them up for a few weeks while LeBron and AD kind of play themselves into basketball shape. And so the Clippers won. Now tonight, because we're going to pivot here, tonight is not going to be quite so easy to handicap. Because not every, like there there were huge emotional, motivational uh, perception angles with Brooklyn, L.A., and the Clippers. Three of the four teams that played yesterday had these huge perception angles that we could exploit. On a night like tonight, where everybody else is playing 13 damn games, we're going to have to work really hard to find those exact moments. But that's what we're going to do on the podcast now because we turn the page to today and we talk NBA news. And certainly the big news of the morning is that James Harden was once again captured uh outside of the nba protocols apparently he was at a, a club not a strip club james harden posting on his instagram that it was not a strip club because we then learned that someone knew i mean this is like this story is is evolving as we're doing this podcast and it's why i didn't it's why i didn't start the show with it because there are Woj and shams tweets popping out as i'm talking so i as we talk here, th- this is where this is where we're at right now. So we know James Harden went to a club because a friend of his uh, is is a boss or something like that. I, I didn't read the Instagram post, and then we found out that someone on the Rockets tested positive for COVID, and then we found out that John Wall and Boogie Cousins tested negative for COVID because apparently they were part of a contact tracing exit. Uh, exhibit or, or dig or whatever you'd call it if you were a contact tracer. I guess it would be a trace. They were part of a trace from the as-of-yet unnamed party that tested positive or may have tested positive for COVID. And the world went nuts because most of us looked at that and said, uh, well, clearly this is hardened, Right. Um well, as it turns out, a few minutes later, it sounds like it's actually KJ Martin, Rockets rookie who got haircuts with DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall and maybe other people that they were in contact with. So all in the morning alone, James Harden broke protocol Hasn't tested positive, which, by the way, I would imagine he hasn't tested positive because he probably had it back in July. Remember, he came to the bubble late. We all figured that he and Russ both had it. He probably had it. And we know immunity may not last forever, but it probably does last for five months. So he's probably had it, which is probably why he's not particularly worried about it. Uh, But he's still breaking protocol, which hurts his team because he then can't play. But he's probably not the guy who's responsible for maybe Boogie and Wall missing the game tonight. Maybe. We don't even know yet. They got negative results. But if KJ Martin comes back as a confirmed positive, I think they have to sit them while waiting X number of days, right? Like Because if John Wall and Boogie were exposed to Martin, we don't know exactly when, they could develop viral load enough to become contagious themselves at any moment. You know, they may have got, they may have tested negative this morning, but they might have it by tonight. So the Rockets are a mess, a hot, flaming, disgruntled mess right now. And from a from a fantasy standpoint, I mean, you, you want to follow our DFS guys on that one because the DFS chat. In our Discord room is probably going to be ringing off the hook all day with what the hell's going on in Houston. If you're a streamer, someone like a Christian Wood is going to get a ton of usage. Eric Gordon would slot in and just get a boatload of usage. But it's going to be an ugly ball game, and I presume you know Houston's likely off the board. They were favored, they were favored by a lot. Now it's down to Houston by one. But I like I don't. That number's going to be banging around all day. So that's the news of the morning. It's loaded, and it's evolving. So pay attention to HoopBall Fantasy. There will be updates there on this, this situation. This is rough, though. I mean, listen, I still advocate drafting Harden first, but this is a bad way to start. Him on opening night being, you know, or the night before, whatever the hell it was, breaking protocol. And uh, if you drafted John Wall and Boogie Cousins, you probably weren't expecting them to play every game all year, anyway. But you probably didn't think it was going to be because they got be because they got haircuts with KJ Martin. There you go. What a time! What a year to be having basketball. But we do our best. We'll try, and let's start breaking things down because we're we got a card to handicap and to break down from fantasy, and we got to do it at some point. So might as well be now Miami is in Orlando to kick things off tonight heat four and a half point road favors with a total of 217 points I am torn from a uh, both a reality and a fantasy standpoint on this one and I'll explain to you why first we saw what happened with the Lakers defensively they weren't really there in yesterday's ballgame they gave up 116 to the Clippers Uh, Clippers shot 46%, fouled them a lot. Or, excuse me, Clippers shot 47%. Lakers turned the ball over a bunch. Like, you know, they were hitting some of their jumpers, the Lakers were, and, and I might argue some of that was because their layoff wasn't quite as long, but they just, their heart wasn't in it the way the Clippers was. And I don't know that you could make a similar argument here because the Lakers were the champs, the Heat were the finals losers. They still wore themselves out. And so I think that this ball game has some similar feel to Lakers Clippers in that Orlando is in this weird spot. They just signed all of their young guys to extensions, which I guess was nice and, and maybe gives them a little bit of security and closure. Miami, they're doing this run it back thing. They're a very smart, well-coached team. But I also think that their key guys are like they're going to be like Braun and AD. They probably didn't play much the last two months. So they're coming in, and they're trying to get loose on the fly. And that's hard to do. Also, we know Orlando ratcheted up their speed last year. They ratcheted up their speed. I have a pretty strong lean in this game to Orlando and the over on the sports betting side, at the very least. Not to speak to what's going on uh, with the fantasy values of all of these terms. These teams, excuse me. The... uh, The things to watch for in this ballgame, which is always hard to do on the first day of the season, for Orlando, they're a pretty damn easy team to handicap. Fournier, Fultz, Gordon, Vooch, they're all going to see plenty of action and have fantasy value. Terrence Ross played really well towards the end of last year when they ramped up their production. I'm quite interested to see if they continue to run their offense the way they did late last year. More through Aaron Gordon, allowing him to pass and facilitate. That gave more shots to Fournier and Ross. And actually, for Vooch, kind of leveled him off a little bit. They ran through him a tiny bit less. He still got plenty because the pace was better, but his usage kind of came down a little bit. So he got the same amount, lower usage, same total because the number of possessions increased ever so slightly. So not a ton to watch for on the Orlando side, other than really the pace. If the pace is up, they're going to be the the gold mine that we were hoping they would be. The Orlando, you know, we talked about it even back in the bubble secret goldmine of fantasy value if they continue to play fast. On the Miami side, well, we don't even really know who they're going to be starting in this ballgame. It sounds like it's probably going to be Butler, Robinson, and Dragic, I guess. But we'll see if Harrow gets slotted in there and Goran comes off the bench. Adebayo is their starting center, but then power forward could be either Mo Harkless or Myers Leonard. This information might even be floating around somewhere. I don't actually care who's starting or who's coming off the bench, because we know roughly who's going to play. Mo Harkless slots, for the most part, into the Jay Crowder role, which, by the way, means he's a guy to keep one eye on. One eye, not both. He needs... There's going to have to be more shots, and I don't think there's going to be enough. So Harkless watch, it's on, but it's it's passive Harkless watch. Otherwise, you know, Jimmy Butler, let's see how he looks after the short layoff. Bam, same thing. Dragic coming back from the injury. Let's see how he looks after the injury and the short layoff. I think Robinson will be fine because he's young. Harrow, same story. And then, you know, does anybody else actually slot in there? I, I'm, I'm a little bit down on Hero this year. I think he's going to be really good. He, he profiles athletically as a you know a, a shooting guard that can climb the board pretty quick. But when you're behind a bunch of guys, that with the shooting guard stat set, it does make it pretty hard to, uh, to kind of clear that hurdle. So not a ton specifically to watch for in that first ball game. Charlotte is at Cleveland. Hornets are favored by two and a half on the road that's uh that's a lot to lay. I know that there aren't fans in arenas, so you're going to see probably diminished home court advantages this year. I still think there's going to be some. You're playing in a familiar environment. Although it's unclear if that's really being factored into the number right now. I'm, I, it seems like it's smaller. It seems like maybe home court at the moment is, is maybe like one and a half to two points instead of three. Uh, but this number surprised me because I actually think the Cavs are not that awful this year. I, I kind of feel the same way about the Hornets. But the difference between these two teams is that the Hornets had a bunch of turnover. Yes, they are the better team. There is almost no arguing that. Between these two clubs, at the end of the year, the Hornets will have a better record than the Cavaliers. I am I feel pretty confident in making that statement here at the front end. They added Gordon Hayward, who broke his finger, but he's going to play through it. They added LaMelo Ball in the draft. P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, they all have another year under their belts, so they'll just be a little bit better. But, you know, last year... This is a team that ran their offense through Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. And this year, they're running their offense through those two guys and LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward. That's a big, big adjustment. On the Cleveland side, nothing. Tristan Thompson, gone. And that's basically it, beyond a bunch of guys you've probably never heard of. Kevin Love, out, but still there. Drummond, still there from last season. Larry Nance still there. Colin Stexton, Darius Garland, J.D. Osmond, Kevin Porter Jr. They're the same. The Cavs are the same. And I think they're sick of losing. I have no idea on the pace side in this ballgame. I have no feel on the over-under in, in any capacity. It's 215.5, and, a half, and I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I think Cleveland actually wants to win, and I think Andre Drummond... Is going to eat Cody Zeller and P.J. Washington and whoever else Charlotte tries to throw out there at center alive in this ball game. I don't like Andre Drummond from a like a statistical standpoint. There, you know, the way the basketball has evolved, he's he's being phased out. But ain't nobody staying in, in his way in this matchup. Not Zeller. They might throw Bismack at him. This might not be a great game to run P.J. Washington at center if you're on the Charlotte side. If Kevin Love was in this ballgame, I, I think you could almost immediately say the Cavs were a play. As it stands right now, I do still lean uh, a decent amount in their favor. And from a fantasy standpoint, hard to get a good read on Cleveland with Love out. But I think you see a decent game from Sexton. I think you see a big one from Drummond. Larry Nance. Larry Nance is going to be good anyway, and he'll now have a clear path as probably the starting power foe, but at the very least, he'll be picking up 25 to 30 bench minutes, I think, most nights. And he is... I, I think he's pretty, what's his ownership in Yahoo Leagues? Only 54%? Who are you people? He's owning 100% of my leagues. So, I don't know. Maybe people are in 10-team leagues that I'm not aware of. Regardless, he's a must-own guy. Larry Nance is going to be good. If banged up from time to time, all year long. So, get him out there, get him in, and uh, that'll be fine. Charlotte's side, the the question mark really is, who's going to be doing most of the work on that team? how is there enough ball handling for four guys that you know i guess hayward doesn't really need the ball in his hand he's a pretty good facilitator but these other guys they're kind of offense starters terry rozier tried to turn himself into a little bit more of an off go- uh, off ball guy last year but they're they're they got better but it's going to take some time man washington philly philly's favored by 7 which feels like a really big line um but I'll tell you why it's a really big line. It's a really big line because the Wizards added Russell Westbrook and haven't really played together at all. This game's going to be ugly as hell. Ugly. Total of 230 and a half. And I don't have a clue what I want to do with that because they're going to be getting up and down the floor fast. It's going to be hideous. They're going to be turnovers, they're going to be bricks. But they're also going to be a crap ton of layups. If I had to make a wager right at this moment, I would take the under because it's day one. Uh, And I think Washington is going to really struggle to fit their pieces together. But I don't know that that's actually going to be on the playlist. On the side, I think I would take Philly. I think that's an angry, motivated Philadelphia team this year. They are healthy coming into the year. They added the right pieces around Simmons and Embiid and Tobias in Danny Green and Seth Curry. They added shooting. I think they're going to be good. I've said it before. I think Philly actually wins the East. They're a dark horse, kind of underdog bet to win the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, what are the odds on that as of, as of today? Do we have that? Do we have those odds readily, readily available? I don't think we do. Let's see if I can pull them up in the middle of the podcast. Um, what do we got? NBA. Do we have, do we have conference champions? Yeah, we do. Okay, yeah, that was easy. I didn't even have to pause the podcast. I can pull these up real fast. Give me the conference champions' odds for both Westerns and Easterns' conferences. Philly is 5-1. to one. That's down from where it was a couple of weeks ago. I think it was at 7 or 8-1. to one. Uh still kind of like it. They're tied with Boston for the second highest mark in the East. I think they actually win the Eastern. I think Philly goes to the finals this year. I think they somehow, someone gets past Brooklyn. I don't know what it's going to be, but Philly... Sorry, they're the third... Bucks and Nets are tied for the top spot, and then Philly and Boston are tied for uh, the third highest. I think Philly's an interesting dark horse there, and if you bet them, and they get to like the conference finals against, say, Brooklyn or somebody, you can hedge at that point. So you lock in money. So I like Philly on that front. Uh, I like Philly in this ball game actually. Philly to cover the seven. I think Washington gets uh, ripped apart while they try to fit apart fit in their new pieces, and Philly has a lot of consistency. They didn't replace any of the key guys. They replaced Josh Richardson with a uh a replaceable shooter, so to speak. And they got rid of Al Horford, but he wasn't he'd never fit anyway. I think Doc Rivers is a good fit for them. I I think that they're mad about last year. This is a team that feels like they have something to prove and they were unbelievably good at home. Home crowd or not. Lean Philly. Fantasy side, oh man, we got this is settle in, guys, here. We got a long way to go. <laughs> Fantasy side. Hopefully they won't all be 13 gamers. Woof. Fantasy side, you know what you're getting out of the main three. And that's probably as far as you go. Uh, you know, I know Seth Curry's getting drafted. Danny Green basically hasn't. Keep an eye on those guys. They, you know, they could be nine cat roto types, but I doubt either one of them gets too far inside the top 100, if at all. And on Washington. Well, you know, there's there's Russ and there's Beal. That's easy. Thomas Bryant, he'll be a fantasy value. Davis Bretons will be fine. I don't think Rui Hachimura is a top 100 guy in nine cat this year, and he's out for three weeks with conjunctivitis anyway. So that's good for Davis. And then at small forward, uh, hoop ball. I know loves Troy Brown. Denny Avija, the uh, the rookie, he'll be okay, I guess. The I, with Rui out, that actually does clear a little bit of a path for Troy Brown. Isak Banga might soak up some minutes, but Brown is worth a look. I don't know that if, I don't know that he's a must own guy to start the year, um, but he's only fourteen percent rostered, so there's at least I would think a, a chance that he's available in your league. He's available in two out of my six leagues this year, so. Yeah, I mean, screw it. You know, add him, see what happens. Or you could wait and you could add him in the middle of the ballgame. I don't care. Who cares? Add him in the middle of the ballgame. I think he'll have... I think he'll be an okay player this year. He'll do a lot of that sort of dirty work stuff. So flip him on your roster if you can go get him. Why not, right? Right. Next one on the docket. Oh, we're only three in. Good Lord. Knicks and Pacers. Pacers favored by seven and a half. And this is a total of 213 and a half. I don't think I'm touching this one. I think Indiana is a good ball club. I think they're going to have a good year. I think the Knicks, however, are underrated. I think they're going to compete this season, which I don't know that you could say about them for every game last year. If someone told me I had to make a bet on this game, I would lean Knicks. But I also like the Pacers' continuity. They've had continuity, and I think they feel invigorated by the fact that Oladipo is back and healthy and his trade demand seems to have been pulled down. So they could very well come out and play like gangbusters. I I would love it. I'd be much happier, frankly, if the Pacers were playing a team that the public felt was a darling. Then I'd be all over Indiana in game one. But against another team that's been more or less unilaterally panned for the better part of 15 years, I don't know that there's really value on either side at least from a betting standpoint. And again, I don't know what kind of pace we're going to get out of these two teams, so I wouldn't probably touch that total either. Pacers, pretty easy team to handicap. They have five starters, and all five are going to have fantasy value. Ta-da! <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? Miles Turner, Devonis Sabonis, TJ Warren, Victor Lady Bill Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Justin Holliday will be close as a nine-cat roto guy. He'll probably you know, chug along to totals value at the end of the year. And that'll be it. On the Knicks side, you know I love me those centers. Noel Mitchell Robinson. Both will be awesome fantasy values at the end of the year. And I don't think it's a hot take to say that I think both of those guys could be top 50 by the end of the year. Mitchell Robinson should easily crack that mark starting or coming off the bench. The only reason Noel wouldn't get there is if he misses 10 to 15 games with knee stuff, which does t- sometimes happen to him. I don't trust an R.J. Barrett. Uh, you know my feelings on Julius Randle. Uh, he'll, I mean, he'll be fine. He'll be better than he was last year. We're waiting to find out what the Knicks are going to do at their guard spots. Sounds like Alec Burks is going to be in there, probably as the small forward, unless you want to call R.J. Barrett. Those guys somewhat interchangeable as starters. Austin Rivers is out short-term. Emmanuel quickly played well in the preseason, but I'm inclined to believe that with Tibbs or Thibs, it's Thibodeau, uh, that he goes to Alfred Payton as the starting point guard. I think that's what ends up happening here. I know that there's been sort of a back and forth, but the Knicks played a lot better last year with Payton at the point, and I think they're going to want a little bit of that veteran leadership there. Does that mean Payton's going to be a fantasy value? Eh, he's always hovering near it, but his percentages both suck. He turns the ball over a lot, doesn't shoot the three ball. There's just a lot of holes in in his fantasy game, and they're not going anywhere. But we'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, Burke's another guy to keep an eye on out there. Milwaukee is at Boston. Bucks favored by four. This is a pretty fair line. You know, Milwaukee added Drew Holiday. I think there's going to be some issues working him in. Boston is without Kemba Walker. They lost Gordon Hayward. So there's probably a little bit of a down feeling in the betting market on the Celtics. Total of 224 and a half. I would lean to Boston. Although, you know, you may say that they were a little beat up from the bubble. I would lean to Boston because, honestly, I just think that their guys know how to play with one another right now. Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Daniel Tice. These guys know each other. Jeff Teague is the is the new thing, but he's not going to force himself in the way— and they're not going to force him in— the way that Milwaukee, I think, is going to try to force Drew Holiday. So I think this is going to be a, a nip-and-tuck game. It reminds me a bit of Lakers-Clippers— Without the, you know, uh, Clippers wanting it thing, I think both teams are going to want this ball game. I just think Milwaukee's going to have issues with their very big new piece. They have a lot of continuity. Don't get me wrong, but I do lean to Boston in this one. I like the underdog here uh, by a little bit. New Orleans is in Toronto Raptors, favored by only three and a half, which surprises me a little bit because I think they're better than that. I, I'm. I'm confused by this line. Total of two hundred twenty-eight and a half. Oh, uh, fantasy stuff. Forgot to talk fantasy stuff in Milwaukee, Boston. Milwaukee uh, fantasy thing worth watching. Does Dante Divincenzo get enough playing time to be uh, a key contributor on this team? He, you know, by all accounts, should be starting because Wesley Matthews left, so that opened up a hole at shooting guard. So, uh, you know, he should be pretty good I guess I mean I like he's not gonna have a, a a ton of opportunity on this team but we saw what he was able to do in smaller minutes last year he got himself right on the cusp of fantasy value in 23 minutes bump that up to 26 27 yeah and if he stays durable he'll he'll be one of those kind of totals darlings a little bit whereas per game is probably in the 95 range but by totals he might be in the 70s just because he'll Probably play most every game. On the Boston side, I think you're watching Teague. If Tristan Thompson is out, we won't get a whole lot of information on the center position battle because that'll be mostly Tice with some Time Lord mixed in. Uh, And then everything else is is pretty easy to figure out on that Boston team. So now we can move along to the next one. New Orleans and Toronto. And I'll say it again. This line confuses me because Toronto is far better than the Pelicans. They just are. Pels are still, to me, mismatched pieces, kind of the way they were last year. They got rid of their best perimeter defender in Drew Holiday, and arguably their best player. They still have Brandon Ingram, who made a big leap. They have Zion, who hopefully will be better in year two, but we still don't really know. And Zion is going to carve up the Toronto front court. There really isn't much that guys in there can do about him. Aaron Baines is going to take some fouls in the process, but they don't have that much size anymore with Gasol and Ibaka gone, so that'll be an edge to New Orleans, but almost everywhere else on the floor, I lean hard to Toronto. Kyle Lowry, Freddie Van Fleet, far better than a Bledsoe, Lonzo backcourt. Brandon Ingram, uh, if you want to match him up against Pascal Siakam, that's actually a pretty good battle between those two guys. OG Ananobi, I'll take over whatever the Pels are trotting out there. I... Uh, maybe I guess maybe Pascal will be going up against Zion and Ananobi would be against Ingram and then Steven Adams and Aaron Baines can just club each other. But, well, I mean, we'll see how the personnel stuff goes. The thing that I like about Toronto in this one is that, the, again, you have four of their main guys all know each other. And then Norman Powell, if you want to throw that into the... Like, their five most useful, most usage-bearing players are all carryovers. Surge, I guess, fits in there somewhere, but he, he's gone. On New Orleans, bringing in Bledsoe, bringing in Steven Adams, those are big things. Removing Drew Holiday, that team has some getting used to do. And, you know, everybody loves New Orleans. I'm still not totally sold on this team. I lean Toronto, and I have no idea on the total. Game one totals are really tough unless you get something like we got in... Brooklyn-Golden State yesterday. I mean, yeah, I generally am going to lean under in almost every total on the board, except for Orlando, uh, because I think totals get bet up by excited general public, and teams tend to be fairly rusty on day one, but it's really hard to know. I, I would never flat bet that, and like, you know, Lakers-Clippers went over yesterday. Everybody was like, oh, this is going to be a grind, grind it out, beat each other up kind of game, but then the Lakers were sort of like, how oh, we can't. We're not going to grind it out here. Day one, we don't have that yet. Oklahoma City at Houston. I'm not even going to talk about this game because from a betting standpoint, the line is going to be bouncing around. We don't know who's playing for the Rockets yet. From a fantasy standpoint, on the OKC side, there's a lot to pay attention to. I would say from that perspective, that's a team you want to watch. You know Shea and you know Horford are going to be doing a bunch. But what about everybody else? How much Lugentz Dort do we get? How much Hamadou Diallo? How much George Hill? How much Darius Baisley? Who's going to play? We can act like we know, but we really don't truly know who's playing and how many minutes outside of Horford and Shea. That's the only ones we really know. Baisley will probably play a fair amount. Pretty good rebounding small forward, that kid. Dort will probably play a fair amount. But that leaves a ton of minutes. If Shea's at 35 and Horford's at 30, That's 65 minutes out of, what, 240? That leaves us 175 minutes to soak up elsewhere? Even if you gave Dort and Baisley 30 apiece, you're talking about 115 left floating around out there. Where does it go? Someone on that OKC team that's not owned at all in fantasy is going to emerge as super interesting. And my money is on George Hill. Veteran backcourt guy? Yeah. Keep an eye on him. He has a really interesting fantasy game. He didn't, like, he's never going to assert himself. But remember, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA last year. And in 21 and a half minutes a game, he was number 140 on a team that basically didn't let him do anything. If he joins that unit in OKC, he's going to have to shoot a little bit. And he's going to floor space. Don't be surprised. And be ready, by the way. If he sees a bunch of minutes in the first half, just pounce on him at halftime. Keep an eye on that game. I really want you guys watching that game live. When the hell's that game start? 5 o'clock Pacific? Atlanta, Chicago. This should be a fun one total of 233. I would fade the total just because I think it's going to get too high, but I'm not really into it. Hawks are favored by two. Um, That seems extraordinarily low for an Atlanta team that should be markedly better than Chicago. But I also think Chicago gets the new coach bounce. They didn't have a ton of turnover there. Bulls still kind of the main guys from last year. Larry Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., Zach Levine. The addition of, you know, they already had Kobe White, but he's going to be playing more. Uh, Patrick Williams, I guess, is sort of the new thing. Who did I miss? Did I say Markkinen? I think I did. Doesn't matter. Um, meanwhile, Atlanta added everybody. So hard fade on the Hawks here to start the year. I like the Bulls, and I like the under in this ballgame. That's an easy one for me to handicap. We'll see if it goes wrong, but it's an easy handicap just because this is a perception game, and we're pretty much always going to fade perceptions. It's not 100%, but it's better than 50 For the Hawks, no Capella, we think. He's doubtful, right? With an Achilles, doubtful. We'll assume that he's out, which means John Collins is going to play more center, so Gallo is going to get a little bit more at the four. Uh, That means DeAndre Hunter is going to see more time at the three. Bogdan Bogdanovich, Cam Reddish, those guys also floating around there. And then, of course, Trey Young. I am down on the Hawks this year, especially once Capella gets healthy. There's just too many of them. Everybody's like, well, efficiency is going to be up. Yeah, I guess. But we learned, and we've learned many times, that usage is value. And usage is going down for everybody on this team, including Trey Young, who's still going to have a massive year, but not going to do as much as last year. They don't need him to. They have two backup point guards, Rondo and Dunn. They have two shooting guards. Two small forwards that deserve playing time. Hunter, Reddish, Bogdan, Herter. It's too many guys. Collins, Gallo, Capella. Frontcourt, unbelievably, is not the most crowded place on the floor. They have so many pieces to work together, and it doesn't happen overnight. The Bulls do not want to be the laughing stock anymore. There's a reason this line looks low. It's because the Bulls are going to play their asses off in this game. From a fantasy standpoint, where I talked about the uh, Atlanta side, um, with Chicago... I'm really curious about Otto Porter Jr. I think we know what to expect roughly from Kobe White, Zach Levine, Markkanen, Carter. I'm a little down on Markkanen. I want to see him assert himself a bit, but he could prove me... He could, he could turn me quickly if he looks like he's aggressive in the offense in particular and getting rebounds and things of that nature. Kobe White, he's going to do a lot of shooting. He'll be a high-usage guy. Same with Zach Levine. It, Otto Porter's the interesting one because he doesn't need a ton of usage. He's always been more of an efficiency guy. I, I was talking to Brewski... Uh, not on, on a podcast, but I sort of mentioned, like, maybe Otto Porter going at 115 is like getting a a bargain OG Ananobi this year. You don't have to pay a top 65 pick, and maybe you get similar production. That that might be the target. Does he get there? Much lower probability than Ananobi getting there, but not zero. San Antonio Memphis Grizzlies favored by two over the Spurs. Total of 230 and a half. I actually like San Antonio in this ballgame. I know they're old, and sometimes that means the guys take a little bit longer to get loose. But I'm kind of down on Memphis this year. I think Ja takes a step forward. I love JV. Jaron Jackson is out. I love Brandon Clark. The Spurs just sort of quietly know how to win. And I think they're not super thrilled about missing the playoffs last year. DeJounte Murray's going to be a stud. I hope you got him in as many places as humanly possible. On the betting side, Eileen Spurs, not that hard, but some. On the fantasy side, you know, with Jaron Jackson out, nothing that we get from Memphis is super long-term. So I'm not that, I'm not really that interested in the Grizzlies right now from a fantasy standpoint. If something pops up, we'll do it. For the Spurs, I am curious how much Jakob Pertl plays. They signed him to an extension. Seems like that means they want him there for a bit. DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan, those guys will be pretty obvious ones. Derek White is out for medium term. And so I guess the question with the Spurs is who's playing small forward on that team this year? Do we see some uh, Devin Vassell? Do we see Rudy Gay get in there for more than his 22 minutes last year? Does Aldridge slide up to center and bring Trey Lyles into the mix a little bit more? So the Spurs do have a couple of questions, at least until White comes back, and then they'll probably slide everybody up a spot and things get uh, a bit more locked in. Detroit is in Minnesota. Wolves favored by six. That's a big number. I'm going to probably leave this one alone. The Wolves, I think, are going to be just excited to play with one another. I think they're going to be happy. I mean, I know with Cat, it's hard to say that he's going to be happy at any point this year after the tragic tragic COVID off season he's had. That's unfathomable. I think he's lost, what did he say? Seven family members to COVID. That's insane. But at some point, you know, he'll he'll get himself locked in a little bit on the NBA. I don't think Minnesota's very good. I think Detroit is actually a tiny bit better than people give them credit for this year. They're gonna have issues scoring at times. Um and they're and they're gonna be a bad team. And this is sort of two bad teams does either one of them really want this game? So that's why Minnesota probably wants it a little bit more. But laying six, can't touch it. 224.5 is the total. I'd probably look at the over there, but I'm also not getting anywhere near that ball game. Fantasy side, this game is much more interesting. Minnesota, we know Cat, we know D'Lo, and we know Ricky Rubio will ultimately do enough to be at least mostly fantasy-relevant, but then there's, there's a lot elsewhere on this team. Malik Beasley, we don't know exactly when he's going to be back and playing. The rookie, Anthony Edwards. They have Joshua Kogi, Jarrett Culver, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Let's keep one eye on the Wolves. I don't know if any of those guys are actually going to be real 12-team fantasy values, but they are worth watching at the very least. It's not, to me, one of those situations where someone's going to explode in the first half and we're going to have to jump all over them, because the guys that would do that are going to be on a fantasy team. Meanwhile, on the Detroit side, I do think that there are guys you could end up jumping on because Blake Griffin drafted, Jeremy Grant drafted, Derek Rose and probably Killian Hayes drafted if we're going to go on most of the leagues that that we're all in, which basically is like if someone is 30% owned on Yahoo, that means they're mostly owned in the leagues that I'm playing in and probably a lot of you guys as well. But one guy... That, has had, that had a horrible preseason and you know everybody ended up soured on him was DeLon Wright, who didn't end up getting drafted everywhere. He's owned in all of my leagues, but only 47% rostered overall, and he might actually emerge as an intriguing guy on this team. Mason Plumlee, same general story. Does he get most of the center minutes? What happens with Jaleel Okafor? Could that flip-flop? There are some stories in Detroit... That are worth watching. And I think this is going to be a really hard game to to physically watch, but if you can do it, I would. I'd love I'd love for you guys to see who plays in Detroit and who's actually touching the basketball. That's how you figure out who's gonna have that fantasy value. Minnesota being favored by six makes this a weird one. Anyway, Denver by seven and a half over Sacramento. The uh very tired Denver Nuggets. And the very hungry, I believe, Sacramento Kings front office turnover in Sacramento. Not a ton of actual team personnel turnover other than Bogdan leaving. They brought in Hassan Whiteside. But uh, the biggest change in Sacramento is Alvin Gentry being the offensive coordinator or coach, whatever they want to call him there. He's going to revitalize that team and their spirits And this is another situation where I think Denver comes in a little bit listless after the deep bubble run. Jamal Murray played himself into bubble injuries. Jokic, very durable, but don't try to tell me he's not a little bit gassed. Uh, I think Will Barton plays relatively well as he comes back here, and and the Nuggets have all of the big names in the firepower. The total of 226. People are going to be pounding the over in that game. I'm... I don't think I'd touch the total, because I do think Sacramento wants to play fast. I think Denver will actually probably prefer to slow things down a little bit in this ball game. So those two things sort of working in, in head-to-head with one another. I know Michael Malone said something like, we were just going to outscore people. But it, at 226, it's too easy. It's too easy. So I have no feel on the total. Based on Sacramento, I would say lean slightly over. But I don't know that I would go as far as to do anything. On the side, I like the Kings. I think they're going to come out with fire in their pants this year. I think De'Aaron Fox is going to play fast. Buddy Heald's going to play fast. They're going to try to do what they did a couple years ago and catch teams a little bit down. And and they know Denver's a little bit sort of goofy after the short layoff. I like the Kings. The Kings are one of my favorite season win total bets also, by the way. On the over. Fantasy-wise, I don't think there are that many questions with Denver, right? What would even classify as a question with the Denver Nuggets? You know Jokic, you know Murray. Uh, Will Barton will probably do enough. Gary Harris is going to play a lot, but hasn't had fantasy value in a few years. Paul Millsap Jermichael Green at the power forward spot. Does either one of those guys... I mean, like last year, Millsap and Jeremy Grant ended up splitting the job. The one way I see this thing working out is if... uh, Jermichael Green gets a lot of his minutes as the backup center instead of Bol Bol or Isaiah Hartenstein or Steen. And that would leave Paul Millsap to take a lot of the power forward minutes and then Michael Porter taking a few of the backup there. That could get Paul Millsap into fantasy value. That's a possibility. I grabbed him super late in some drafts just to see what would happen. But Millsap, Harris, those are your guys that are teetering on the border. And then there's a number of guys that are very obviously on the inside. Sacramento, is uh, a little bit goofier. Although I think we know... Like, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, those guys are obviously in. Rashawn Holmes, even in less work, will still be a nine-category guy. He won't get anywhere near where he got last year. But, it's enough. Same thing with Hassan Whiteside. Even though the guys split the center minutes down the middle, both of them would end up with fantasy value. The guy that I actually think has a really good year for the Kings is Marvin Bagley. I think he's been... uh, Pretty significantly underdrafted this year, and it surprised me. People really soured on him fast. He's rostered everywhere, pretty much. I actually have him in two places this season. My my head-to-head leagues because I don't know that I trust him in Roto. Uh, just because there are like if his free throw percent doesn't hold, he doesn't do a ton of things besides score and rebound. But if his percentages are good and he sort of bungles his way into some steals and blocks, they could have a pretty good year. And they want him to be a big part of it, and they want him playing power forward. So they'll get him his minutes. Now we just need him to stay healthy. Getting to the end now. Utah, Portland. Utah by one and a half. This is I think this line is going to surprise a lot of people because Portland, I think it's going to be pretty good this year. They got Nurk back. They added Robert Covington. They still got Dame, CJ, uh, Derek Jones Jr., Gary Trent Jr., Rodney Hood, when he gets ready, they have Zach Collins. They got deeper, they got better. And I look at this line, and and my first instinct is to say, yeah, I really, really like Portland in this game, but I also like Utah's consistency. They have continuity on that team. They got Boyan Bogdanovich back from injury, although they pretty much had him all year. Mike Conley, they've now kind of had a year to get used to. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, they brought Derek Favors back to shore up that backup center spot. The Jazz are just a super consistent team. I think this is going to be a really close ball game, and I think the line is tight. Total of 226.5. If I had to pick a side, uh, I would probably say Portland, because I think they're going to be more excited to play this year. And excitement goes a long way at this early juncture. Um, But it's not going to be as easy as people think. I know a lot of people look at this line like, Portland, catching points? Come on! It'll be a fight. It'll be a dogfight. Portland is the public side. I happen to agree with the public in this ball game, but it's again, it is by no means the kind of shoe in type of game that uh I think a lot of people are expecting because Portland is is kind of a darling, are they not? I think this line actually opened with the blazers as a favorite and moved hard towards Utah anyway, anyway, Lean blazers. I, I agree with the, the likely public feel on this one. Lean Blazers, no feeling at all on the total. None whatsoever. Fantasy-wise, I think we're pretty locked in on this one. Roko, Nurk, Dame, CJ. That's probably it for the Blazers getting inside the top 100. I don't think anybody else, and after one game, they might. And like with Rodney Hood, probably not at full strength. Maybe Derek Jones Jr. has a tiny wiggle, tiny little avenue, but yeah, uh, it's short term. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna, not gonna worry too much about that. And then on the Utah side, you know, who cares? Rudy Gobert, Boyan, Conley, Donovan Mitchell. That's probably it. Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, Jordan Clarkson, Derek Favors. Those guys are probably all gonna be just on the outside, outside top 100. Last game on the board. We are almost done. Dallas and Phoenix. By the way, I should mention all of the lines that we're talking about today are brought to you by our buddies over at MyBookie.ag. Hope I won you guys some money over there yesterday. I did. I won a few bucks. I don't bet that big. Uh, MyBookie.ag, make sure to sign up with promo code HOOPBALL. They have a giveaway every day this week for Christmas, and they have small rollovers on those giveaways. Almost all of them are just 1x rollover. Like today I logged in and it was like, hey, here's 25 free spins in our casino Cool, I'll take those, and if I lose them all, well, you know what? Don't worry, I'll have spent more than that within two days in rollover. They had a $10 free play that uh, emerged yesterday, so that was a really easy one to use up. Uh, I think they had a $10 something in the casino, I'm forgetting, and this is happening every day between now and the 26th, so this is a great week to sign up. I knew they were going to have something over Christmas. I just didn't know what it it was going to be. MyBookie.ag is the website. Promo code HoopBall, all one word, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Please, please, please use that as we win some money here during this basketball season and take advantage of the giveaways happening this week. It's not odds boost. It's not that crazy stuff from before, but it's just freebies with very small rollover requirements. Get in on it. Get in on it. MyBookie.ag, super easy to cash out, by the way. I learned how to use Bitcoin in a week, and uh, I used that to cash out. And I cashed out, and it took two days. Ba bow And then Bitcoin went way up, so I <laughs> made a bunch of money on my betting, uh, my betting dollars even after they were outside of the sports book. Okay, last game, Dallas Phoenix. Phoenix is favored by one, total of two thirty-four and a half. I think this is going to be a really fun ball game. Uh, Slightly lean to Phoenix, although I do also believe working Chris Paul into your team does take a little bit of time. Dallas is good. they don't have Porcingus so that's gonna that's gonna kneecap them a little bit but they are very well coached offensively they always find a way and then you know there's there's expectations on Phoenix now which can kind of work against you That said, I do lean to the suns I think uh, in general they're going to be a team that that wants to get off to a quick start. Um, so I will lean to the Phoenix side in that ballgame. From a fantasy perspective, I wouldn't read a ton into the Dallas side because anything we get here is going to be without Porzingis, but he's also out for a few weeks, so that's not nothing. In head-to-head or Roto, if you can pile up some games from guys that are putting up numbers like a Dwight Powell or a Maxi Kleba, They might have some good runs here in them. Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Richardson, alongside Luka. He's going to need somebody else to take a few shots. So Dallas has some what you could call kind of long streamers, which sounds like I'm talking about something in the bathroom, but I'm not. Short-term streamers at the beginning of the year are, to me, stupid. Um unless you're in a league like a really deep, unlimited games played kind of league where you can just sort of move the last guy on and off of your roster, if you're in a, a, a fairly normal league, don't drop your guy before the season begins. At least give them a couple of games to show you are they going to be touching the basketball, how much, how many minutes are they going to be playing. Trust in your draft, guys. That said, most of these guys we're talking about on Dallas are were drafted. You know, Dwight Powell, maybe not. Kleba, maybe not. So I would keep one eye on those guys. And then with Phoenix, I don't know that any of the key guys on that team weren't drafted. I think that's a pretty, maybe Jay Crowder would be the only one you could say, is he going to be doing enough out there? I think Crowder ends up playing most of their power forward minutes. Bridges at small forward, uh, Booker, Paul, the backcourt. I know they have Dario Saric, but I think he's largely going to be playing backup center. And some backup power forward, but mostly backup center. And so that should leave high 20s of minutes for Jay Crowder, who everybody hates him right now. And and I get it. Like, he hasn't been a good fantasy player in a long time. But he was number 93 in 28.8 minutes per game last year while shooting terribly. He shot 40% from the field. 10.5 points, 2 threes, 1.1 steals, 6 rebounds. Low turnover, so obviously a big nine-cap boost. But he could get to that mark. He took 8.7 shots a game. Like, like he could get there because Bridges ain't going to take that many. Chris Paul doesn't take that many shots as a point guard. Booker and Aiden are going to take them. So there are going to be looks if he's out there. I think Crowder could end up being, I don't want to call him a steal because he's that 3 and D type, and those guys are often dangling around uh, at the end of, of drafts and of rosters. But I think he could actually be inside the top 100 this year. Do you have to go get him this second? Uh, probably not. I don't, I, you know, it, he's probably not going to be a guy that makes a colossal splash. But if you're in a league that had, geez, I don't know, uh, 15, 16 rounds to your draft, he's probably better than the guy you got in the 16th round. Right? Like, he's probably going to be inside the top or around the edge of the top 100, and the guy you got in the 16th round of your draft probably isn't. So there you go. (sighs) I'm gassed. Are you gassed? I just talked to myself for 65 minutes. I must be crazy. Let's put a bow in it. You guys heard all the leans. You guys heard all the fantasy thoughts. Big-ass card tonight. It's big Wednesday. Start the year. Let's have some fun. This is Fantasy NBA today everybody. I am Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Again, please do check out the wager pass and the fantasy pass at Hoopball. You will be very pleased, particularly again with the Discord chat room. If you have a subscription already and you're not using the Discord, get it together. It's a lot of fun in there. You can interact with the pros, other listeners, readers, premium subs from Hoopball. It's just spectacular. Hoop-Ball.com is the website. And by the way, if you've been enjoying the pod, please go drop a five-star review and subscribe for the season. Makes a huge difference and means the world to me. Thank you guys once again. I will talk to you on the interwebs. This is Fantasy NBA Today. So long.